holy God, we try to fix and fasten you, but you will not be stayed. You are love in motion, always breathing and being into us, calling us to serve, sustaining us in the wilderness. Come to us today as the morning breaks. Soften what has grown dry and brittle in our hearts until we worship with abandon. For we pray in the name of the Son you sent and through the Spirit that gives us life. Amen. The first scripture reading today comes from the book of Matthew. Listen for a word from God. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. I've got three of them in here. That someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds. But when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree. So that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. The next scripture reading comes from the book of Romans chapter 8. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God who are called according to God's purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that they might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charges against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have any of you guys ever read the book, The Life of Pi? Okay, yes. It was also turned into a movie, but I never watched the movie because I loved the book so much. I just couldn't handle seeing another person's interpretation. 
In the story, The Life of Pi, it may be a novel, it may be an allegory, I'll leave that up to you, but it follows Pai Patel. Pai grew up in Pondicherry, India, where he found solace in religion and zoology. He was brought up as a Hindu, which was common in that time, and then he discovers Christianity, then Islam. And much to the consternation of his parents and community, he begins to practice all three religions simultaneously. Pai had an interesting upbringing because his parents managed the local zoo. And when he was um, young, around 12 years old, motivated by India's political strife, Pai's parents decide to move the family to Canada. So they pack up their belongings and most of their animals onto a cargo ship. And along with a crew and many cages, they set sail for Canada. And then there's a storm. Because remember, we always know there will be a storm. And as the ship is sinking, crew members throw young Pai into a lifeboat with a zebra, an orangutan, a hyena, and then a tiger named Richard Parker. The majority of the book follows Pai as he attempts to survive and understand his situation. At one point when he had been lost at sea for quite some time, he begins to long for a book. Listen to what he says. My greatest wish, other than salvation, was to have a book, a long book with a never-ending story, one I could read again and again with new eyes and a fresh understanding each time. Alas, there was no scripture in the lifeboat. I was a dense consulate arduan in a battered chariot without the benefit of Krishna's words. The first time I came upon a Bible in the bedside of a hotel room in Canada, I burst into tears. I sent a contribution to the Gideons the very next day with a note urging them to spread the range of their activity to all places where worn and weary travelers might lay down their heads, not just hotel rooms, and that they should leave not only Bibles but other sacred writings as well. I cannot think of a better way to spread the faith. No thundering from a pulpit, no condemnation from bad churches, no peer pressure, just a book of scripture, quietly waiting to say hello, as gentle and powerful as when a child kisses your cheek. Now, I think these verses from Paul are something that you could read again and again, and each time find new eyes and a fresh understanding this is the kind of scripture that could keep you going when you are lost at sea. In a lot of ways, Romans 8, this is Paul's greatest hits album. The whole first half of Romans builds to this crescendo that we hear in today's text. And some of these are the memory verses that many of us hold dear. These are the verses that have been stitched onto pillows, earnestly underlined in Bibles and clung to as a life raft. So let's see what these texts have to say for us today. It starts off strong. 
The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And this is a verse that you should go and you should look up in as many different translations of the Bible as you can get through your hands on because it's translated in many beautiful ways, each one better than the next. Some translations talk about the groanings of the heart or the Spirit is here to help us when we don't know how to pray for the Spirit prays for us in ways that cannot be put into words. The Spirit prays for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered, or from the message, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans. This text is a life raft. I first came across it when I was 17 years old. I was the chaplain of the band because I was that cool. And in 1997, in Bristol, Tennessee, they would still have students pray before we left for trips, and that was my job as the band chaplain. Before we would go on a competition with the marching band on Saturday mornings, the chaplain would get up and pray. And one Friday night, we found out that our friend, who had graduated two years before us, our friend who had been in youth group with for years, had died by suicide. I knew that I had to get up the next morning and pray with this group who were still reeling from the loss of our friend and I had no idea what to say. So I was thinking and looking at the Bible and coming across scripture when I found this verse. That the spirit intercedes with the sighs too deep for words. And that was my prayer and we clung to it. But this text, remember, this is Paul's greatest hit, so it doesn't stop there. Paul continues building and weaving questions together. He goes on, he says, We know that all things work together for good, for those who love God, who are called according to God's purpose. Like we talked about last week, God doesn't cause suffering, but God does bring purpose and good out of even the worst situations. I know that a few of you have spent a considerable amount of time with folks in the ages of 18 to 22 years of age, right? And one of the questions that they ask is, what am I going to do with my life? What is my purpose? What have I been called to? And I would usually try to help them winnow that down a little bit. You don't have to know what you're doing with the rest of your life. You just have to know what you're doing next. What's the next thing you want to learn? What's the next thing you want to try? And this is a verse that I had printed out and framed and put behind my desk. To stand there as a reminder that no matter what your day job is, whether you're teaching or uh, saving lives through brain surgery, or whether you're cleaning toilets, that God has invited you into God's purpose in this world. You matter because God works together for the good of those who God loves, who've been called according to God's purpose. It's not about what we are called to do in the world, 
It is about what God's already doing in the world. And we are invited into that. And it goes on, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. And he says, no. And this is a phrase that has stuck out to me so much this week. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're not sheep to be slaughtered. We're not an army trying to defend our oppressors. We are more than conquerors through Christ. This sets up and points to the fragility of human lives and our vulnerability. Paul's talking about persecution and hunger and violence. This is a letter that Paul writes to a Gentile congregation, a community who were not Jewish but had become followers of Christ. And the big conflict of the day was whether or not these Gentiles had to become Jewish before they could become Christian. They were kind of the outsiders of the early church. And at the same time, the Roman government was beginning to persecute Christians for the ways that they didn't fall in line and follow the rules of the day. So this community, this letter was written to those who were being persecuted from both sides. And Paul is assuring them, you are more than conquerors. You're not just here to be victors and rise above and conquer and win. You, in fact, are God's own children, adopted into a large family that God has called together. You are not soldiers in a great cosmic war between good and evil. You are, in fact, God's very own children. And then we come to this last verse, one that I am sure you've heard because I know I've said it before as an assurance of pardon or as a benediction. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ. You know, humans, we're, we tend to be empire builders. I think it's because we're trying to grasp at a sense of immortality that something we've done on this earth will live after us. So we plant gardens and we tend them. We grow programs. We're institution makers. And I think that maybe we do some of that because we're trying to prove ourselves worthy to earn God's love. But that's not what this is about. There's nothing you can do to earn God's love and there's nothing you can do to separate yourself from it. I think about the welcome table that we have here and I think our earliest thought is that success would look like a welcome table that has the biggest free meal in town. But that's not true. In a lot of ways, the Matthew 25 group has helped us remember that success is when this community no longer needs a weekly free meal. And I think the same thing is true with the church, with this church community and this church building that we're investing our lives and our time into. This church is the tool. It's something that helps connect us to God. And when we are reunited with God, when we have been healed, 
our community, the world, even the earth has been reconciled to God. We don't need the church anymore to help connect us. It's the way that helps us get there. I watched recently the TV show The Mandalorian, and I know I'm not the first one to use Star Wars to talk about life and faith. But in The Mandalorian, they have a phrase that they say again. It says, this is the way. You hear it through the series again and again. It's the mantra of the Mandalorians. And the Mandalorians aren't a community of people based on geography. They're not an ethnic group, but they're a group of ragtag soldiers who have agreed on a set of standards for battle, for honor, and for life. So at one point, the Mandalorian, who's kind of the star of the series, takes Grogu, Baby Yoda, um, to the leaders of his tribe to try to figure out what he can do. No one has seen another creature like Yoda for hundreds of years. They don't know what planet he's from. They don't know if there's any more of his kind. But the leaders of the Mandalorian say, your job is to care for this child and to reconnect him to his family and his people that no one has seen. And when the Mandalorian, when Pedro Pascal begins to question it, they remind him that this is the way. This is the way that we move forward. We invest in the things around us, we care for things that matter, knowing that we can't earn God's love and we can't separate ourselves from it. These are the verses that remind us to hold on when we are lost at sea. They're the verses that we can cling to as our life raft. They remind us to not give up, that your mistakes don't define you, that no, no matter how difficult the situation around you seems, that God is with you in it. And that nothing can separate you from God's love, not life or death, not divorce, not addiction, not your mistakes, not your shortcomings, not your guilt or your shame. Nothing can separate you from God's love. Amen.